This morning, I would like to focus on the book of Genesis, the opening chapters of Genesis. And uh, we'll be looking at a few passages kind of scattered throughout these opening chapters of Genesis. And I've called this message the Genesis of motherhood because all the passages will be coming out of Genesis, but also because in these passages, we'll be seeing some of the, the purpose of God for motherhood. And that is, what, what was God's design? What is God doing in this role of motherhood? And so, in a way, this will kind of be like a little mini biblical theology of motherhood and of what God is doing in motherhood and in his grand overriding plan. I don't know if you have noticed, but the noble calling of motherhood is under attack in our world. It's under attack. And this attack is multidimensional in that it takes on many different forms. One attack on motherhood is the general disregard for female human life that we see in places like China and India. I don't know if you are aware of this, but because of some of the government policies in China and India, in particular China's one child per family policy, there has grown a trend in China and India. And, and in addition, when you, when you bring in their cultural expectations, there's been a growing trend in China and India of gender-specific abortions. And there have been countless millions of girls aborted because in those cultures, they, they view the male gender as preferable to pass on the family name, to pass on the, the culture and the, the legacy of the family. Here's one problem. You can only do that if you have mothers, right? And so I read an article recently in which, and, and I may have the number wrong because I'm getting this from memory, but I want to say that the article mentioned that there are now in China, in India, about 30 million men who have absolutely zero chance of being a husband and a father because there are not enough women for them to marry because of this one child policy that they've had. And so there is a lack of motherhood. There is a, there is a, a shortage of motherhood in China, in India. That's one attack on this honorable role. In, in Western culture, such as in Europe and in North America, the attack on motherhood is a little bit different. In Europe and North America, motherhood is increasingly viewed as an inferior calling. It's viewed as an inferior calling to what are considered more important roles in society. So the pursuit of a career, a secure retirement, a more comfortable lifestyle, aggressive competitiveness, desire for fame or fulfillment, and in some cases, a liberal, very progressive philosophy that seeks to eradicate any and all distinctions between God-given gender roles. All of these have contributed to the maligning of motherhood in our culture. But what does our creator say 
about the role of motherhood. He's the designer, right? So we would want to know what our creator says about this very important role. And in the scriptures, motherhood is not an inferior role at all. It is a role that is held up with honor and with dignity. It is a role that is crucial to the world, but also crucial to the grand design of God's plan. So what is the purpose of motherhood? What does our creator say about motherhood and how does it fit into his grand design? Well, in the opening chapter of Genesis, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so these opening verses of Genesis, first of all, remind us that there is a grand purpose of motherhood in God's world. A grand purpose of motherhood in God's world. And Genesis one twenty eight goes on to say, God blessed them, that is, the man and the woman that he had created. He blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so Genesis 1, 26 to 28 remind us of God's grand purpose of motherhood in the world. And what is that purpose? That purpose from the beginning was to be a joint ruler over creation with her husband in the image of God and with her husband to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth so that the whole earth would be full of other image bearers of God, giving honor and glory to their creator. That is God's first design of motherhood. That through motherhood, people made in the image of God. That's why I read from Psalm 8 in our service a few moments ago. Psalm 8 describes the dignity and the honor that God has placed on human beings. Psalm 8 says, God, when I look at the skies, when I see the stars, the galaxies, all this that you have made, the vastness of your universe, and then I consider mankind, when I consider human beings, why would you take notice of him? Why would you take notice of human beings? But yet in Psalm 8, he says, Lord, you have placed on mankind, on humanity, this honor this dignity, and he is to rule on your behalf over this created world. And so it is a, it is a honor, it is a privilege to be a part of God's design. Some people call Genesis one twenty six to, to 28 God's creation mandate. God's original creation mandate in which we see his original purpose for humankind in the world. And that purpose is, is to serve God, in glory to God, to serve him by being his rulers over the world. 
man and woman, together, ruling over the world and being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth with God's image bearers. All of this for the honor and the glory of God. But we know what happened, right? We read a little bit further in Genesis, and we see that sin entered into the world. The serpent came into the Garden of Eden, the serpent with his deceptive tactics, with his lies, and mankind fell into disobedience and rebellion against their God. They disobeyed God's command. They ate of the fruit of the tree that he commanded them not to eat from. And what are the, what are the consequences of that? What are the repercussions of that act, that disobedient act? Well, the repercussions were a curse, weren't they? A curse that God placed on this world in which from that point forward, all of us would suffer under the frustration, as Paul calls it in Romans 8. A frustration of this curse that would be on the entire created order. And a part of that curse, a part of that curse that God gave in Genesis chapter 3 is the great pain of motherhood in a sin-cursed world. And so there was God's grand purpose for motherhood in his world. That grand purpose in its imperfection was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with image bearers of God. But sin and pain entered into that role of motherhood. The great pain of motherhood in a sin-cursed world. And so we read in Genesis 3.16, for example, when God says to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And so isn't it interesting that that according to Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that God had invested in motherhood this grand purpose to fill the earth with image bearers of God that would lift up their voice and praise to God and honor their creator. But in that very role that God had designed, this, this role of honor, this role of dignity, that God, as a part of his punishment on sin, would invest that role with great pain. And so from that point forward, motherhood has been a noble calling, but also a painful calling and a difficult calling. Now, immediately in Genesis 3.16, we can see very clearly, literally, the pain that goes into motherhood. A mother carries her child for nine months with great discomfort and then gives birth to that child after nine months in great labor and great pain. And then that, that mother, that's not the end of the pain of motherhood though, is it? And so when Genesis 3.16 says, in great pain you will have childbirth, in great pain you will give birth to children, that's just one aspect of the curse on sin in this world, isn't it? Because we read about Adam, God said to Adam, in your work, in your labor, you're going to have to, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have thorns and thistles. It's going to be difficult labor to work in this world. 
we recognize that those two curses that God gave, the curse of thorns and thistles to the man and his labor, the curse of pain and childbearing to the woman, that's not the extent of the curse on sin, is it? Those are just representative of the great frustration that this entire world feels because of sin that entered into the world. All pain and death, all misery, all loss, all catastrophe, all disease, all death, all of that is because of the curse on sin. And so the pain and labor and childbearing, that's just the beginning of the pain of motherhood in a sin-cursed world. In addition to that, some, some women in this world may face infertility. And, and, mother, and Mother's Day can be a very difficult time for some because they've never had the privilege of having a child of their own. That's a part of the curse on a sin-cursed world. And, and we need to support and lift up and encourage and pray for these women that, that have gone through infertility. Some, some women have endured great pain of motherhood in a sin-cursed world because they've lost a child while pregnant. They've miscarried. And that is a very hurtful thing. It's a, it's a time of mourning and great grief. It is losing a life. It's losing a part of your family. It's losing a child. I remember in Kentucky, uh, a family that, that we were close to, that, that we, we loved this family in our church in Kentucky. They were a young couple, and uh, they, they experienced a miscarriage right at the very end, full term. And it was a very difficult time for them. And I remember standing with them at the graveside, committing their young child to the ground and to the Lord's care. That's a difficult time. That's, that's part of the pain of motherhood in a sin-cursed world. Some mothers have experienced the death of a child, maybe later on in life. That's a very unnatural thing, isn't it? Normally we experience it the other way around, that the, the children have to bury their parents. For a parent, for a mother to have to bury her child, that is a very painful thing. All of these are a part of the curse of sin in our experience. So there was a great purpose of God in motherhood in his world, but because of sin, there is great pain of motherhood in this cursed world. But thirdly, I want us to see that even in the midst of this pain, there is still a gracious privilege of motherhood in this sin-cursed world. Even after the curse, even after the fall into sin, God had grace on these sinners. God had mercy on these sinners. If you remember, after the fall, Adam and Eve, they tried to fix things by making kind of makeshift garments for themselves, and they, they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover their shame and their nakedness. But God came to them. And yes, in judgment, because they had sinned, but not in judgment only, also in grace. And in grace... He sacrifices an animal for them and makes for them garments of animal skin to cover them, to clothe them. And in, in, this, 
in this time of, of difficulty, God gives a promise to Adam and to Eve that life will go on. Life will continue. What did God say to Adam and Eve? If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will what? You will surely die. It was within God's right as the creator of the universe to put Adam and Eve to death at that moment, wasn't it? That's what they deserved. They disobeyed the command of God and God would have been just to put them to death at that moment and to start over. But that's not what God did. God showed mercy. God showed grace to Adam and Eve. And yes, there will be difficulty. Yes, there will be pain. But in the midst of a sin-cursed world, there is still, still a gracious privilege that goes on. And we see this in Genesis 3, 20 and 21. It, it's exemplified when Adam provides a name for his wife and he names her Eve. And he gives the explanation because she would become the mother of all living. In other words, remember that original purpose of God? Let's make man in our image, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the living creatures, and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Remember that original plan? It's still ongoing. It didn't end with sin and the curse. The sin and the curse make it harder. Make it difficult, make it painful, make it a struggle. But God is gracious in that he allows us to continue to live out that purpose in the world. Certainly not perfectly. But the the gracious purpose of motherhood goes on. And Adam, in faith, knew that it would go on. And he gives his wife the name Eve, knowing that she would become a mother. And not just a mother, but the mother of the entire human race. And so Genesis 4 describes the fact that Adam and Eve had a son named Cain. And Eve says upon his birth, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later on, she has another son named Seth. And when he is born, people begin to call on the name of the Lord it says at the end of Genesis 4. And so God's gracious privilege is still invested in motherhood, even though taking place in a sin-cursed world full of pain. And now, lastly, I want us to see this morning God's gospel plan for motherhood. God's gospel plan for motherhood to rescue a sin-cursed world. There's God's original purpose for this world. There's, there's pain in the midst of a sin-cursed world. We still fulfill gracious privileges in the midst of this sin-cursed world. But God had a plan, a gospel plan to rescue a sin-cursed world. And amazingly, the vehicle he chose to fulfill that plan is motherhood. That's the, that's the means, that's the vehicle, that's the channel that God used to fulfill that gospel plan is motherhood. Look at Genesis 
Probably the first promise of the gospel in all of scripture. Genesis 3.15, the Lord says to the serpent, this deceptive serpent that was... Uh, that was that laid the trap for Adam and Eve to fall into sin. God punishes the serpent and places a curse upon him in Genesis 3.15. And in, in the midst of that curse on the serpent is contained this promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That is hostility, enmity between the serpent and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, that means we're not just talking about snakes and women here. We're talking about something much bigger, aren't we? When he starts bringing in offspring, he will crush your head. Who's the he? In the verse, it has to be the offspring of the woman. It has to be the child of the woman. He will crush your head, serpent. And you, serpent, will strike his heel. It's the very first promise of God's gospel plan for motherhood to rescue a sin-cursed world. We continue reading in Genesis and we read about a man by the name of Abram. And in Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he promises Abram that he will be the fountainhead of blessing to the world and that he will become a father of many peoples. One problem, Abram and his wife, Sarai, They can't have children. They can't have children. They can't fulfill Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. At, At this point in their lives, they have no hope of being a part of God's promise of Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. But God comes to Abram and says, I'm making a promise to you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And we know how the story goes. Abram and Sarai, they fall, they stumble, they make mistakes. But in the end, God, God holds on to them, and Abram and Sarai remain faithful, and God chooses to use a son of Abraham to go forward to fulfill this promise of Genesis 3.15, doesn't he? And it's not Ishmael, it's not his servant. God comes to Abraham and says, I am going to use Sarah. In fact, he changes their names from Abram to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah to exemplify the fact that he was going to use them to become a father and a mother of a great people, of great nations. And God specifically said, I'm going to use Sarah. She is going to be the mother of the seed, the offspring, the Genesis 3.15 offspring. And he is going to fulfill the promise. And so Isaac is born. God blesses them in giving them the opportunity to have Isaac when they're in old age. Isaac. And then Jacob. And then Jacob has married to Leah. And Leah has Judah. And through this plan, 
of a seed of the woman, the Messiah will come. The next time that you're in Matthew chapter 1, and you're reading the genealogy, the ancestral heritage of Jesus, pay attention to the women that are mentioned there. Pay attention to the mothers that are mentioned in that passage. Specifically, we have Tamar. Who is Tamar? Tamar pretended to be a prostitute. And she had a child with her father-in-law, Judah. The seed of the Messiah goes through that. Another mother is mentioned by the name of Rahab. Who's Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. Through faith, she says to the spies, when you come back, remember me and my family. They honor that request and Rahab becomes a member of the community of God's people. And she is in the line of the Messiah. You read about another mother in that passage named Ruth. Ruth, who is Ruth? She is a Moabite. Through famine, this family goes to Moab and lives there for a while. And, and Ruth, through marriage, becomes a part of their family and even in the midst of tragedy, she stays, she clings to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and God blesses that faithfulness, and she marries Boaz, and they have a child named Obed. Who is Obed? He's the grandfather of David. David is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, the Messiah. So Matthew 1, all these people, all these mothers who are mentioned and it concludes with one mother in particular, a woman by the name of Mary. Who is Mary? Just a young peasant girl that God chose to display grace on and called her to become the mother of the Christ. So that Paul can say in Galatians 4, verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That is God's great gospel plan to rescue a sin-cursed world, to bring a Savior, to bring the Messiah into the world. And what's the, the vehicle, the, the channel that he used to do that? Motherhood. Generations of mothers and ultimately in the Virgin Mary that God chose to use to bring Jesus into the world, to become our Savior. And so there is a great gospel plan for motherhood. And we might think, well, that's all past. What about now? Well, God continues to use motherhood in his gospel plan, doesn't he? We read about many, many people in Scripture whose lives have been influenced and pointed in the right direction toward God and toward faith because of their mother or their grandmother. One in particular that comes to mind is a young man by the name of Timothy. And Paul writes in Timothy, he says, Timothy, I know about your faith because I've seen it in your mother and your grandmother. And the same faith that was in them is in you also. 
So you read scripture and you compare what scripture says about motherhood to what our world says about motherhood and scripture invests motherhood with great dignity and great honor and great purpose. And our world says, eh, it's not, not all that important. There are more important things that you can do in life than to be a mother of children and to bring the next generation into the world and raise them up to be God-fearing believers in Christ. And what I'm suggesting is that there is no higher calling than to be a part of this grand plan of motherhood that God has designed. And so today I just want to honor our mothers and remind our mothers that that God has invested your role with great significance, with great honor and privilege. And yes, there is pain in it. Yes, there is difficulty in it. There are hardships. There are sorrows. But Paul reminds us in Romans 8 that one day, all the frustration, all the curse that's, that's going on right now in this world, one day it will give way to a new reality when that frustration and that curse and that pain are no more. And so in faith and in hope, we look forward to that day. Thank God for mothers. Thank God for them. Because mothers have changed the world. In particular, one mother brought our Messiah into the world. And mothers continue to change the world in our day. They continue to transform and shape our lives. It is a high calling. And may God give you grace to do it to the best of your ability, according to his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for what you have revealed to us in your word. We thank you that in your great gospel plan that you have used ordinary, common women and mothers to fulfill your great purpose in the world. Through a young peasant girl named Mary, you brought your holy son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. And he would come to live for us, to humble himself for us, to become our servant, and then ultimately to give his life for us as a ransom for our redemption so that all who believe in him might have life. Father, my prayer for everyone in this room today is that they know that Savior. They know Jesus who came to rescue this sin-cursed world. I pray that their faith is in him. I also pray, Lord, that you would bless our mothers today. Help them to remember, recognize from Scripture that theirs is a high calling. The world will send them false messages. The world will try to distort what you have laid out as your design and your purpose for them in the world. But, Lord, remind them that motherhood is a great and noble calling. And, Lord, invest Invest in them the grace and the strength that they need to fulfill that purpose. Lord, thank you for your grace. Use us all, Lord, to be salt and light in our world. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.